0: Hello, and welcome into the first ever Not Just Another Sports podcast. Um, I am one of your co-hosts, Price Carter, and I'm joined by Christian Ainsworth. Christian, you want to go and introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So I've been living in the Kansas City area for all of my life, 25 years, and uh, really been talking mostly about the Chiefs for the past two. Um, I've been into sports my whole life and and really – really excited to get into the podcasting realm, where I can sort of give my opinions uh, to a broader scope of people besides my family and unwilling co-workers. So hopefully we get to that point, we can have a little back and forth on here and and we'll be good. What about you, man? You might uh, introduce yourself as well. Yeah, for sure. So uh, as I
0: said before, my name is Price Carter. Um, I've been writing about the Chiefs for about a year now. I grew up in the Kansas City area as well a uh, lifelong Chiefs and Royals fan um, I originally started writing for another website I now write for arrowhead live which I forgot to mention this podcast was brought to you by arrowhead live um, we we're part of the arrowhead live uh, tree um, and I'm excited for this podcast because I feel like we have an opportunity to do something a little bit different than what there is a lot of when Christian and I started putting our heads together for this idea I um, we recognize the fact that there's a lot of people who can give you a lot of really good Chiefs content. In fact, people who can do it better than us. Um, We do not have access to uh, press conferences and I don't get to talk to Chris Jones one-on-one. We're not those guys. There are a lot of people who can do those things and do them really well. But what I feel like we don't have a lot of as far as within the realm of Chiefs, Royals, Kansas City podcast, is we don't have a lot of people who talk about Bigger storylines, national storylines, and relate them back to Kansas City. Because I feel like, and Christian, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like, you know, it takes, I never just sit around and just talk about the Chiefs or just talk about the Royals. I, I always talk about national stuff.
1: No, it, exactly. And, and like you said, that's kind of why we put this whole thing together. Um, I've always kind of looked at things with a broad, you know, painted things with a broad brush and, and looked at things in, in a broader scope. And uh, I'm really excited that we can, you know, kind of give a different, we can kind of be in a different lane, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think is one of the things I think we will come back to a lot is the fact that we are not going to run away from our bias as far as like we both admit that we are, you know, Kansas Cityans and our perspective is that, you know, we are less likely to believe in, you um, like another team's quarterback, because we believe in our quarterback more like we we are going to have an implicit bias fan is short for fanatic for a reason. Right. So we're going to relate all these things back to Kansas City um, and kind of look at things through the lens of Kansas City. But also and one of the reasons why I've enjoyed talking to Christian through some of Arrowhead Live Connections is that I feel like me and him do a really good job of being able to take some of our fandom out of things. We're not always going to look through things with uh, red and gold glasses. Um, You know, we are not going to blow smoke up. You guys, we, um, we are down to earth. We look at things from an objective perspective. We want to see the best in it. You know, we're going to definitely be locked into what's the best for our team, but in the same breath, we are not just so blind that we're going to sit here and tell you like, Hey man, this is the year that Armani Watts is just going to take off and have like nine picks. That's, that's not going to be us, you know? So, um, I don't I don't know man I'm really excited to get into it. Um Christian is there anything else you got?
1: No, but I think that actually perfectly segues into one of our first topics which is Julio Jones. Julio Jones in Kansas City. Do you see it? I do not see it.
0: I don't even Here's the thing. I and I get that it is part of the excitement of Chiefs fans, right? We didn't we didn't used to have this. We used to never even consider that another player would want to come to our team because the Chiefs weren't good, they didn't have the quarterback. I'm ready for Chiefs Twitter specifically to move on from every single player that is up for trade or release should be a Chief. And I get it, like I said, it's part of the excitement, but there is nothing connecting the Chiefs to Julio Jones other than a graphic that the PFF media department made. I, myself, am a, I love Kansas City area sports talk radio. Sarin Petro is excellent. Um, One of the people I look up to in this industry. He is really good friends with Eric Eager, who works for PFF. Uh, You know, if you follow him on Twitter, you probably recognize him as a guy who tweets about the Chiefs a lot. And he said, yeah, and when Petro was talking to Eric Eager, Eager said, yeah, that's our social media team. And um, they get carried away sometimes. That is, that is it. That is the only thing connecting the Chiefs to Julio Jones there's no rumors there's no murmurs there's nothing there's nothing more well, than th- more yeah and go ahead
1: yeah uh, I, I think part of that though the reason that that Kansas City fans are so you know gung-ho about oh there still could be a chance is that Brett Ve- Veach excuse me likes to move in the shadows man last year with uh or two years ago I'm sorry with Frank Clark it, that came out of nowhere I mean tell me is that is that Uh, a reason why people could still be hanging on
0: i i will agree especially whenever you consider that press conference that they held right before the draft where brett beach stood up in front of everyone talked about drafting a tackle and then walked away and like hours later uh wrap up you know rap sheet tweeted out that they were trading for orlando brown so i do think that there is a distrust but i also think that there you know i do think that some things just make too much sense or not enough sense, and I guess we're getting into the could or should. Could they trade for him? Yes, but literally right now, in order to trade for Julio Jones, they are going to need to clear cap space, which, you know, some people see that as not being an obstacle. And I mean, they could do it pretty easily. You know, they could go back to the table with Tyree Kill, ask him to restructure again, which he's already said he didn't want to do, um, and or a Tyron Matthew deal. There's a lot of ways we know that they can do it, but could they, yes, they could. You know, if, if it's a second round pick, like a lot of people talk about, there is no doubt. And this is, this is part of the frustrating part of this is there's no doubt that you can look at a trade for Julio Jones and say that that would put the Chiefs as an unequivocal favorite for the Super Bowl. It absolutely would. It would be amazing, but it's very much living in the right now, ignoring some of the things that are down the road. And once again, you are taking a draft pick, something that you get a 21, 22-year-old player and exchanging it for a more expensive 32-year-old player who is closer to the end of their prime or beyond their prime. And that's what I have a problem with. You, Yes, Julio Jones is probably better than 99.9% of what you're going to draft. But the problem is, is the value that you give up for Julio Jones picks plus salary cap space is never going to equate to that point, not that 0.1%. It doesn't even have to be people look at McCole Hardman and call him a bust because, um, because he's not DK Metcalf. I'm here to tell you that McCole Hardman's a good pick. He's not a great pick. He's not a superstar, but he's a wide receiver that's had over 600 yards for two seasons. It's a dynamic punt returner when he, I do mean dynamic because he does drop it. But he's he has value, and he's playing for pennies on the dollar, and that matters. A team cannot be constructed of just superstars and practice squads players. That's hyperbole. But for me, on the should they trade for Julio Jones, it's a no.
1: See, and, and I'm kind of in the same boat with you on that, um, especially considering the contract r- ramifications um, and the fact that we don't need – julio jones like if, if we're going to go out and spend I, I think his cap hit is 24 million this year or, or it might be a little less I think, um, I, I think that's the total i think
0: the um if he was cut or released or traded i think the team that were would acquire him would owe him 15 million i believe that's okay. the number um, that uh field yates tweeted out a couple weeks ago
1: yeah that's right that's right 24 total 15 per team or for the team that trades for him um there's a lot you can get for 15 million, and and don't get me wrong, Julio Jones is an outstanding player. He's a top three wide receiver in the league when he's healthy, um, and one of my favorite players of all time. But I mean, we could bring Bashad Breland back. We could get Melvin Ingram off of the uh, off the free agent market. We could get Justin Houston back. I, I don't think that will happen, but that would be an option. I mean, I would love it if they would. Yeah, no kidding. I agree with you, though. There's just so much that goes into that. Um, But but there is a team, though, in the AFC that I think really, really fits uh, the Julio Jones trade market, and that's the Colts. I mean, you think about the Colts, say what you want about the Carson Wentz trade. I think that he will be a great player for the Colts, especially with a change of scenery. I know he has been you know, kind of memed on for the past couple of years with the picks. Um, but but that's a team with a really strong offensive line. D.Y. Hilton is getting older. You know, they, they need a really strong number one receiver. Um, and they have plenty of cap space to do it. Is, and, that, is that off base? Is there a team and, like and see, uh, a little well, bit better?
0: You're, where you're coming from right now is exactly the place that uh, salary cap is fake. Salary cap is not real people need to understand. They look at things in a vacuum, this one move, this move for Orlando Brown plus the picks, but they don't understand that these things do not happen in a vacuum. These things are not um, singular. Everything happens together. With the Colts being constantly in such a good cap space, place, cap uh, a good place with their cap, they have been able to go out and get DeForest Buckner and it not destroy the depth of their team because they gave up a first for that last year. Mm -hmm. They have the cap space to go get Julio Jones and not hurt the depth of the team overall. The Colts are one of those teams. The Browns are right there right now, too, where they might – the Bucs are that way, too, where they might have one of the best rosters in the NFL cumulatively. Now, for the Colts, it may not matter a lot. Julio Jones could be great. But if he's going to be limited by, you know, you were mentioning Carson Wentz, then, you know, it might not be a great pick. But personally, I completely agree. Because the thing that's excellent about a player like Julio Jones is he instantly upgrades the other players around him. Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell, those are not great number two wide receivers, but those guys are excellent three and fours. T.Y. Hilton is an excellent number two, not a great number one. And he struggles to stay healthy. You put Julio Jones in that roster with that offensive line. You know, Jonathan Taylor was excellent in his first year. I mean, that instantly takes just elevates that whole offense, including Carson Wentz, who, you know, we saw what Stephon Diggs for Josh did for Josh Allen. So I agree. I think that's a good. I think it's a good landing spot. I, as a Chiefs fan, I'm really worried about him going to the Chargers. The um, the idea uh, I don't I don't necessarily think that Justin Herbert is going to be exactly what he was last year. I don't think that, you know, he I don't think he's going to suck, but I don't I don't necessarily believe that he's going to just keep ascending from where he was last year. But an offense of Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Julio Jones, Austin Eckler, they have another pretty good rookie running back whose name is Escaping Me right now. They went and got their center. I mean, that, w- that would be a pretty stout offense for sure.
1: You know, I would agree with you. Uh, it, it will be incredible uh, weeks one and two when everybody's healthy. Uh, if Julio Jones wants to end his career with the Chargers uh, and tear his ACL at 32, he, that would be, uh, I mean, that would be a tragedy. Uh, but everybody that goes to the Chargers seems to get injured. So we we
0: won't head too far down this rabbit hole, but I was shocked. Um, I for some reason bite on the HBO documentary, the hard knocks every year. I, I always love it. It's interesting, it gets me excited for football season. And last year they did the two LA teams, right? They did the Rams and the Chargers. Yeah. And I will never forget watching that, and no one no one was really paying attention to because everyone was talking about. Uh, the COVID storylines and the social justice storylines and several other storylines but I remember watching there were two or three scenes in their training camps where it was like so obvious to me it's like oh this is why their players always get hurt one of them was and they made this huge deal out of it they were stacking like tackling pads they're like those pads that you hold on your shoulders for the players to yeah yeah they were doing the classic like LT, Ladanian Tomlinson, dive over the line drill for the running backs. And um, the former coach there, uh, head coach, he used Anthony Lynn, he used to be a running back. So he worked with the running backs. And he kept stacking the dummies up higher and higher and having all the running backs, including Austin Eckler, who they just paid good money to, dive over the top of it onto a pad. And I was like, why is this necessary? Like (laughs) these guys get in the gym and they do their box jumps and all that stuff. This is not necessarily, this is not practice. And then there was like a scene where Mike Williams like hurt his shoulder in camp because he was laying out completely for a ball in practice. And I just feel like I never see I usually go out to Chiefs training camp and I feel like I never see the Chiefs do that. And I was just, I was just shocked. And I was like, this is exactly why um, like Hunter Henry tears his ACL in OTAs or something bonkers. But either way, I think, I think we're both in agreement that Julio Jones is not going to be wearing red and gold and he shouldn't be. Am I correct? Yeah. That kind of, yes,
1: a hundred percent. I mean, with the cap situation being what it is and I know people say, Oh, Julio doesn't get injured and, and things like that. Well, in my experience, not granted, I'm only 25. So, you know, I could be completely off here. Uh, NFL players don't usually get healthier the longer they play football. Um, And I think you've got a guy, obviously he's a freak of nature. I mean, like just completely, he's the apex predator of wide receivers. And, you know, he gets injured last year. It's sometimes, at some point the rent comes due and, and you have one guy roll over on your ankle and, and that's it for the season. I don't,
0: I don't think it makes
1: sense structurally for the the cap or uh, for his, you know, his age.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think people tend to forget too, that this team was really, really close to acquiring um, Juju Smith Schuster and they could have had him for like $9 million. And I mean, I don't think that Juju is Julio Jones. Don't get me wrong. They're not even close, but Julio Jones is so much for this offense and would be, would be amazing, no doubt. But I, I guess what I'm saying is Julio, how much percentage better does Julio Jones have to be to justify giving up a pick and the increased salary amount, 15, 20, 30%. Juju Smith-Schuster is 85% of Julio Jones. And he would fill that role well. And he's a good blocker. He's physical. I know people hate him because he has TikTok, but I mean, I'm just saying that there are players that can give you a, a large majority of what Julio Jones has for much less the cost and zero draft picks. So I, I think we're both in agreement. We're kind of beating that horse dead, but um, you know, <laughs> it's going to suck because if they do acquire him, I'm going to be excited. Like it's kind of like the Orlando Brown trade. I was against it in philosophy, but I was still excited for the player because like, like we said, we have those red and gold glasses, we do get excited,
1: but we can also acknowledge that the
0: bill is going to be paid on this at some point.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I will be extremely hyped up if we trade for Julio Jones, but I don't think we should or will. So, agreed,
0: agreed. Okay, let's move on. Um, let's move on to the Royals here. Um, this is this is tough, um, especially because this this is a moving target all the time i want to ask you do you think that the royals are close and by close i mean contending
1: you know i i really don't think so um and and that's based off of a few different reasons i mean like alberto has been kind of a disappointment uh when we got him he just he just hasn't lived up to uh to the hype or what we thought we were going to get out of him um and we're walking way too many batters. I mean, like it, it seems like I think they I every think they single night, like,
0: yeah, eight yesterday.
1: Yeah. And I I did, did a little bit of research. We're the third highest walk rate in baseball. And that's, that's something winning teams don't do, you know, <clears throat> but, uh, I, I kind of see it though as, as kind of a glass half full team. I think that we're, we're right there. There's a lot of good things that, that will come of this season, but I don't think a a world series appearance is, is on the table right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think I might've phrased the question a little bit incorrectly there for you. Um, I, I don't think anyone really is considering the Royals for a true contender this season. I guess what I was meaning more of is how, how do you see them being, do you see them as a contender in the near future? How close do you think they are to contending for a division? How close do you think they're contending for playoff series wins in the next couple of seasons Um, because I mean I think you know they say this a lot you are who the back of your baseball card says Um, and there's a reason why the Royals keep like winning a game losing a game get to 500 lose a game win a game get above 500 get below there there's a reason why they keep flirting around 500 and it's not because of the schedule or some bad breaks it's because they're a 500 baseball team But how
1: do you feel about the long term? Oh, well, I mean, continuing off of what I just said, I mean, I I think we have we're poised uh, to be in playoff contention in the next few years. I mean, we've got I'm trying to think of his name, uh, Santana. Yeah, Carlos Santana. He has been tearing it up lately. I mean, like and I don't think we really I don't know about you. I didn't really expect a whole lot from him. Uh, coming into this year, um, but there, I think yeah, we yeah. got, they he got went...
0: Satant, Santana on a two-year deal, so you got him for this year, next year. Yeah. For... I mean, I, I feel like go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I feel like here's here's the thing with the Royals: you are absolutely banking on this wave of pitching that is here: Singer, Coar, Lynch, Bubich, Asa Lacy, those guys, and then like Bolin I know he just went for Tommy John he was pitching well as well for some of the minor leagues you are banking on this wave and then you need Bobby Witt Jr. to come up and be a Manny Machado you need him to be that level of player to start to see the 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 perception of the Royals becoming a contender here's the thing Jackson Kowar Asa Lacy Daniel Lynch Chris Bubich Brady Singer they, they the, the possibility of the Royals having all those guys starting and being quality pitchers for them is slim to none. It just doesn't happen in baseball, especially considering that's about two drafts worth of pitchers. What's more than likely to happen is, is that the that the, the Chiefs, the Royals are going to have to put some of those players in the pin and some of they will they will have to go to the well, whether it be moving pitching for position players or free agency, because I mean, I think, I think a lot of people when they're looking at the Royals right now, they're planning on an entire rotation of draft picks. And I just think that's unrealistic because I think we can see that the one, of the weaknesses of the roster right now is the bullpen. And yes, Dayton Morris proved that he can develop bullpen arms, but here's the thing. Some of those reclamation projects, they, they work and then they just walk to free agency, you know, Um, They got Mike Miner a nice deal from the Rangers. Now he's back, but they get, they're the people that helped him get a good deal. Um, Trevor Rosenthal, he got a big deal this year from the Royal, uh, not from the Royals, from the Padres, but he was rehabbed here. Uh, They've done that with several players and it works well, but then they don't re-sign them. And you can't count on that every year. You can't count on finding a Chris Young level player who was instrumental in the Super Bowl for them. So some of those arms are going to have to move to the pen. And the thing that I just keep coming back to is the Royals, even back when we were winning American League championships and we were winning the World Series, the Royals have never been a team that has been able to walk on offense and develop offense. And that is where this game is heading. Because here's the thing, every pitcher is max effort now. Starting pitchers go to the 5th, the 6th inning most of the time. They are throwing gas all the time, and then more high-power arms come out of the bullpen. And the Royals have constantly struggled for offense. Yes, Jorge Soler had a season with a lot of home runs, but the players that are giving the Royals this 500-level play right now, most of them are not the players that you are building on. Maybe, maybe Whit Merrifield is a part of the next wave. Carlos Santana, I, I mean – He's having a great year. He's under contract for another year, but I don't think you can count on him being, you know, a key piece. Um, Jorge Soler has been dreadful this year. They just gave Hunter Dozier a deal. And I mean, he's been mediocre or below mediocre, honestly. Um, Mondesi obviously has played well since returning from injury, but you know you're going to get 110 games out of him a season. Salvador Perez is playing catcher less and less. And part of that is because of the wear and tear on his body. They like how he hits when he's not playing catcher and has less wear and tear on his body. But also, his defensive stats are regressing at catcher. Salvador Perez is a great hitting catcher. He's a pretty me- mediocre hitting DH of first baseman. That's something that they're going to have to address. So I feel like for the Royals to become that contending level team, they are going to need to move some of that pitching for a bat Because even if Bobby Witt Jr. and Nick Prado and Valoria and some of these other, or uh, not Valoria, some of these other prospects that they have that are hitting pretty well right now, even if all of them do hit and come up and do well in the big leagues, they're going to have to move some of those arms for a position player. Because I just do not think that they are going to be able to scratch and claw their way to a World Series like they have before. Because if you've watched the playoffs in the last couple of seasons, there's a lot of 9-8, to 11-10, 12-9 games. And, I mean, I feel like the Royals have scored that much once since the season has started.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that and the fact that they can't seem to close out games. I mean, like, it, it seems like every night I'm watching them give up four in the seventh. Like, that's, that's just something that you can't do and expect to be a playoff contending team.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm a little frustrated with that too because here's the thing. The bullpen, there is a level of trust that has to happen. I get the closer mentality, the finding your guy that you can count on when the, when the light is the brightest, all those things. But I mean, can we please stop giving opportunities to the carcass of Roy Davis? I get <laughs> that he has done so much for this team. But part of, part of what bothers me about bringing these players back is it's sad to see them be brought back, right? It's like going to see a grandparent when they're close to passing away. It's hard to see them when they're not in their best state. I want to think of Wade Davis closing out the World Series. I don't want to think of Wade Davis giving up a three-run bomb and not getting a single out. That's not what I want to see. I'd much rather see upside arms from the minors come up. And you know what? If they flame out and they're not it, move on. It's not any different than what you're getting from Wade Davis. Um, I... (laughs) And here's the thing. I, I'm just not sure if Dayton Moore is the person that is going to take this team to another World Series. And part of that is is because I'm not sure they're going to another World Series anytime soon. And part of that is I'm not sure if Dayton Moore is the right person to do it. The thing that well, I keep coming back to, and sorry to cut you off.
1: No, you're good. Baseball no. has changed
0: so much since 2015. In 2015, the Royals were like the anti-moneyball team. They put an emphasis on scouting, athleticism, contact in the playoffs, and the bullpen. They, instead, instead of Moneyball, which was based on on-base percentage, they placed their value on bullpen and basically said, hey, look, we can make our starters go five or six and then have an ace come out of the pin instead of an ace in the rotation because we can't afford them. Well, guess what? Everyone's caught up to all that. The teams are smarter. They get it now. Even teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox, who have all that unlimited money, they get that now and they don't get in as many bad contracts. And then when they do, they can, they can even take a good player and just pay out their bad contract to get a, to get a, a prospect, which I mean, the Dodgers did that a couple of times in the past couple of years, where they take a prospect from someone in a bad contract and just basically write off the bad contract for the player and just get the, get the prospect to help other teams relieve their cap space or not the cap space, but help them relieve their salary. So, I mean, I just, I feel like it is harder than ever for a team like the Royals to succeed. And the reason why I'm not sure Dayton Moore is the right person is because in order for the Royals to do that, they're going to have to look like the Rays and you, we just finished playing the Rays. You watch their team and you, you, you sit there and go, who are these guys? Like, who, you know, who, who are these players that are coming up to hit? But then you look and they're all taking walks. They're all hitting for average. They're not striking out. And then they're they're interchangeable they they can mix and match and move picks for players and or not picks for players but move players for prospects and there's a lot of fluidity to the roster and, and I just Dayton Moore seems more like the type of guy who was you know winning the World Series with the Braves who was these are my nine guys who start and these are my this is my rotation and we go to war with them and I'm just not sure that in modern baseball he is the best choice.
1: No, I, I would completely agree. I'm, I mean, you, you kind of see the trajectory of, of where this team is heading right now. And, and like you said, baseball has evolved so much. Um, and unfortunately, I think we're kind of behind the eight ball in that aspect. We're still trying to build a team um, like we did in the 2014, 2015, you know, seasons. Um, man, I, it, what's kind of your one fix? What, what would you do this offseason to to right the ship I guess
0: that's really tough I mean for me honestly I believe Chris Bryant is going to be a free agent this year I really feel like they need a lockdown guy that they can count on for the next three to four years that is going to be a great offensive production that can be a team leader I know that his production did not nearly match what did not nearly match what he was as a um, as a player, but his reputation, Eric Cosmer, man, they need an Eric Cosmer. They need a, a vocal leader, a guy who can lead this team, show them how to win, kind of like the James Shields trade was too. They need that guy with swagger, and I, I would love for them to sign a big bat like that and just shock everyone and give, you know, go ahead and give out the biggest deal that the Royals have. And I understand that there's risk in that, but this is the difference between the NFL and the MLB. There's not a cap. So, you know, if they get into a big deal, a big deal with Chris Bryant and he kind of flops out and isn't exactly what they wanted to, they can, you know, they can write the ship on that. And I would love to see that, especially at third base, because I don't think they have a long-term answer at third base. I mean, maybe it's Bobby Witt Jr., but I... You know, I'm, <clears throat> he can move somewhere else. I, I would love to see them go and get that big bat for the next three to four years, a guy who can take a walk, who can hit for average, hit for power, who's won a ring somewhere before. And um, I, I feel like that would be the best thing for them because
1: there is so much pitching out there. Well, you, so you, you say we needed Eric Hosmer. Just wait about four or five years and we'll sign his corpse to a, a three-year contract. Because that seems to be what we're doing with uh, all of our old players anyway. Yeah, man. I mean,
0: I'm I'm waiting on the next Alberto Mondesi injury. That way we can see LCD's ex- Escobar.
1: I have tweets <laughs>
0: saved, ready to quote tweet them whenever he gets called up and is starting and hitting ninth for the Royals. Because it's, it's just going to happen. It's like, it's like um, Ned Yost is still somehow like, controlling this team by proxy and that's not like Mike Matheny has done a fine job I really think he has but there are just sometimes it's like Ned are you still there Ned but well yeah either way um let's see which what you want to go to next you want to talk about the 2018 QB class or you want to talk about the
1: flopping I was gonna say this is a signing older players to to contracts I think we have to talk about the Bucks and how they shouldn't be considered the Super Bowl favorites this year. See, I'm actually going to disagree
0: with you there. And here's why. The <clears throat> Buccaneers have been, they were a team that had a lot of things going against them. Um, as far as putting that whole new team together, they had, you know, not a lot of time to practice with a new quarterback. They Added Antonio Brown to the mix late. They had a lot of like things that went against them winning the Super Bowl, and they still did. They are a young team. They brought back all of their players. I just don't see a reason to think why the Buccaneers are going to be worse next year. Um, you know that offensive line is all returning. Do I think that Tom Brady is going to just like get better? No. But also the thing that helped the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl was the fact that they stopped trying to run Bruce Arians down the field passing game and started running more of what he run in new England. They've got loads of offensive talent on that team. The defense is still there. You know, the pass rush is about the only thing that's aging the secondary. While it's not great, it's also not bad. There's not a, there's not a real weak link there. There's good players in that secondary. And then we know about the linebackers. I here's the thing. The chiefs are, and this will, and I'm a constant warrior, the Chiefs are one or two injuries away from being completely out of contention. And I know that that's easy to say for almost any team because yeah, if Tom Brady goes down, the Bucs probably aren't winning the Super Bowl. But I, I do not feel like you can consider the Chiefs Super Bowl contenders if Travis Kelsey or Tyree Kills goes down. And the Buccaneers are foolproof on that sense. If an AB goes down, they've got two more big time wide receivers. Heck, we forget that O.J. Howard, who is a pretty good tight end, who didn't play last year because he got injured during the Buccaneer season or a season earlier. He'll be coming back as well. That gives him three good tight ends with Gronk, him and Cameron Bray. I mean, here's the thing. We're splitting hairs, Chiefs, Bucks. The only thing I'll argue for the Chiefs is that I think that they have more upside at the quarterback position. Like I think, you know, Throw for throw moments can definitely go over what Brady can. And I also feel like I would rather have Andy Reid as the head coach. I feel like he's the better tactician and he's more innovative. But I I can completely see a reason why the Buccaneers should be favored over the Chiefs.
1: See, the the only thing that I have, you said they're a younger team. and, And I believe that that's true as far as, you know, most of their players. But Brady, Sue, Gronk, and JPP, they're all over 32. I mean, JPP was a major component in their pass rush last year, and, and so was Sue. I mean, two, both of those players go down. I mean, 32, you're getting up there in age, especially for a uh, defensive lineman. Um, I, I mean, I just see one of those players going, two or three of those players going down, and, and there's nothing you can do about it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you've got v v there, who's still a good pass rusher. They drafted a couple of pass rushers this off as well. I do agree that that team is pretty re- reliant on the pass rush. Um, you know, obviously if that pass rush isn't as strong, that secondary is not going to look as great. And I mean, I, I just keep coming back to the fact that the Bucks just feel like a team that have really solid depth at every position. And I feel like unless they are severely bitten by the injury bug, which really can happen to any other team. Um, I, I I just would have a hard time favoriting the Chiefs over them. I think the Chiefs are the definitive second. But also, you look at the NFC. What team scares the Buccaneers in the NFC? I feel like the AFC is just constantly getting stronger, and the NFC is getting weaker. Here, Let me just run down some of the odds here for the Super Bowl odds. These are um, the top – 10 teams here at Super Bowl odds. Chiefs, Bucks, Bills, Rams, 49ers, Ravens, Packers, Browns, Seahawks. Those are the odds there. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is really really generous to the Niners who are have the fifth best Super Bowl odds and really down on a team. Let's see, the Cowboys are all the way down here at 12. Dolphins are at 13 the Saints are at 14 but I mean I just feel like um, I just feel like the Chiefs have a lot more teams that can rise up and give them a hard time I mean the Bills the Ravens the Browns and I mean heaven forbid if the Rodgers trade did ever happen to an AFC team whether it be the Colts or the Broncos or the Raiders or some other teams that have been rumored and we're forgetting about the Chargers too, who, you know, have some good pieces. There's, there's just a lot more in the AFC that can trip up the chiefs. Cause I mean, this isn't the NBA or the MLB where the chiefs win a series of seven, they just got to have one bad game. Like we saw in Tampa this year. Um, So which team besides the chiefs and bucks of the teams that I listed bills, Rams, 49ers, Ravens, Packers, Browns, Seahawks, which one would you feel comfortable putting some money on to win the Super Bowl? Which one do you think is the best? But,
1: well, I don't know if it's any of those. I don't really like any of those teams, but there is a team in the NFC that I think isn't getting enough hype, and and that's the Bears, the Chicago Bears. I really love their draft. Uh, Jenkins was one of my top five offensive linemen. Um, they drafted, they traded up and drafted Fields, Fields, and they got Daz Newsome. I mean, like that's. I loved all of those players coming out of college, going into the draft. Um, just imagine Fields takes off in the first, first six weeks, outplays Andy Dalton and, uh, and gets the starting role. You, that think, defense you think that is, he's going
0: to start week one, or do you think that they'll go to Dalton first?
1: I think they might play Dalton for the first two games, but Fields is a really good quarterback. I, I really loved him coming out of college. He was my number three, um, and I mean, dude, that that defense—they lost Kyle Fuller, which is you know a big deal, obviously. Um, but Khalil Mack coming off the edge, man—you don't have much time to throw the football anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that the as far as a bet goes, because there, there's a difference between what we think will actually happen and a bet. I do think Bears, to win the Super Bowl. They have currently the 21st best odds to win the Super Bowl behind teams such as the Titans, Cardinals, Steelers, and Vikings. I do think that that is a great bet, considering, you know, you're getting a great value. And, you know, one of the things that I like to see when I think about a team winning the Super Bowl is the path to it happening. Can I see this happening? For instance, you know, it is really easy to create a storyline where you see oh, you know, Josh Allen takes the next step and that defense steps up. Him with another year of Stephon Diggs. They added Emmanuel Sanders, the offensive line. You know, you can, you can create a path for the Bills to go to the Super Bowl. You can create a path for the 49ers. You know, Trey Lance is the real deal. He's able to run the ball much better. That opens up a whole new effort um, element to that Shanahan offense. The defense is legit. They stay healthy. And he's able to make the passes that Jimmy G couldn't and lost them the game. You know, you can really see that with the Bears. You can see, you know, a super athletic quarterback opening up a new part to Matt Nagy's offense. The defense is still strong. They finally have good weapon or um, they finally have a good quarterback for some of the weapons that they have on offense. You can certainly see that, especially considering, you know, you know, if they, if Rogers is retired or not in that division or not playing, that certainly opens things up more for them to be a high seed. I mean, we just, you know, when it comes to teams like this, especially when it comes to winning the Super Bowl, you know, you you need to have three or four good games, but I think we saw last year that that does happen. I mean, the that Giants team that won that went 9 and 7. You can get hot. It it is a thing in the playoffs. It doesn't happen as much with football as I feel like it does in other sports, but I could certainly see a path to that.
1: Oh yeah, abs- absolutely. And I don't know, you you said this a little earlier, but I kind of want to check you on it. You believe in in Josh Allen and the Bills,
0: I th- here's here's what I think. I think at this point the Josh Allen Mysteria. At this point, you definitely need to see it for another season. I I will always say that Mahomes, even when he threw five thousand and fifty, people were very justified in saying they need to see it for another season. Because here's the thing: teams from to make minute adjustments, small adjustments. That can happen in a week's time, you know, game planning. But big-time adjustments on how to play them, there was a definite difference from 2019 Patrick Mahomes to 2018 when he won MVP. Teams started doing things differently. You saw that they took away that deep stuff real fast from him. And you also saw a team starting to try to contain him in the pocket more because of what he was doing outside the pocket. And it did make a difference. Now, he got hurt, so he didn't um, have – he wasn't going to have the stats either way in 2019, but he was not on pace to do what he did last year. Now that's doesn't, I mean, that still made him, you know, a top three quarterback, but yes, I would like to see Josh Allen do it again. But what I like about what the bills do um, is that they are able to, they continually make the smart moves to help elevate him as a quarterback. They do the nickel and dime things. Well, The Chiefs do a lot of big dollar moves, right? They go get the left tackle. They got a, you know, Hall of Fame tight end and wide receiver, but they nickel and dime things well with the Emmanuel Sanders. I was super jealous of them signing Matt Breida, who's a great running back who gives them something they didn't have, which is a true speed home run element as a running back, which is something they struggled with. Now I will also say I've yet to see Josh Allen play great in a game that really mattered. He had some great regular season games. But in the playoffs, the Colts game was his best game, definitely. But also, that was a daytime game, the first round wild card, where they were the definitive favorite. I, he had a good game, but also he made some pretty boneheaded plays in that game as well. And then the Ravens the Ravens game, he did not win. The Bills defense won that Ravens game, and Lamar Jackson lost it. He was not going to win game. I will not listen to anything else. And then the Chiefs game, he turned into an absolute pumpkin in both games. Steve Spagnola said, Hey, I'm going to blitz you on every play. And I just want to see you make plays. And he didn't. Now you can easily create the story. Stefan Diggs has come out and said he was injured. So was Cole Beasley. You know, you can certainly see this story where like they come back and they're healthy and they're different, but that's part of it. Part of it is being a team that's good enough that can win when they're injured. Everyone's injured by the time it's end, by the time the season is ending. So I think I think the Bills are probably the the best threat to the Chiefs, unless Rodgers is traded to an AFC team at this time. But I mean, do I think that the bills deserve to be the third best odd to win the Super Bowl? Mm, I think that's a little, a little strong for me.
1: Well, you say he, he can't play in big games or he hasn't done so uh, up to this point. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl is, is about the same way. So I have, I really have a hard time saying, uh, you know, he can't do it when the lights are on because uh, I think Josh Allen can, but he has been extremely limited in those games.
0: I, I understand that, but I want, I want to remind you that with eight minutes left to go in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs were down 10 points. And then Patrick Mahomes uh, was basically perfect from that point on and did whatever he wanted to. I mean, I feel like those lights were pretty bright at that time. And, you know, I see those and the people who have season in the title of their Twitter profile, like Byron Pringle season and um, Matt Breida season and those little fanboys, those 11 year olds on Twitter who like to say that Mahomes can't play well in the Super Bowl. um, They need to go back and rewatch the 2019 or 2000. I guess it was 2020 at the time. They need to go back and watch the Super Bowl and watch some of the plays that they made. Not just in the last eight minutes, too, because when the Chiefs, when Mahomes was running for his life in the 2020 Super Bowl, that pass rush was stout then, too, for the 49ers. And he made play after play when it mattered the most. And that's not the first time that he's done it. I mean, people, I, people just seem to forget. They, they get this narrative of the end the end is all that matters, not how the story is told, right? So, like in 2018, he lost to the Patriots. Brady beat Mahomes, and then in 2020 or 2021 Super Bowl, uh, Brady beat Mahomes again. But people forget, you know, like Mahomes spanked the Colts in 2018, and then they, you know, came really close to beating the the Patriots in 2018, and they caked walked. They would have mollywopped the Browns, if it had not been for Mahomes getting injured. So, I mean, do I think that my point is a little partial? Yeah, I mean, Josh Allen hasn't had as much time and a sample size as Mahomes has to fully evaluate that. But I will tell you that I've seen less from him than we had at Mahomes at this time.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think Mahomes is an anomaly. He he came out of the gate. He had that one year behind Alex Smith and even in his first Denver game I mean, he played that week 16 or week 17 game against Denver and threw a left-handed pass. So I mean he he hit the ground running when he came into the NFL. Um but I think Josh Allen I don't know. I think he's he's playing really well. Obviously he's not Mahomes. Um but I think he's the second best quarterback in the AFC by a long shot.
0: Yeah, and I think I think this is a good place to kind of pivot to um Our last topic here, Um, and this, we're pretty NFL heavy today, other than the Royals talk, but this is a topic that I like to talk about, especially because these these players are um, all up for their deal, and this is kind of the way, it started with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, um, where pretty much after that fourth year of a rookie deal is wrapping up, they start to hand out big long-term deals to the quarterbacks who were drafted. Um, basically they use that fifth year option and work it into the deal. Kind of like what they did with the Mahomes deal, um, as well. So the 2018 quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Those are the guys who are all not on a practice squad. Um, they are all going to be up for a deal. And my question to you is which player do you feel like would be the
1: safest to give a long-term deal to well, it would depend on the price. Um, but honestly, I think Lamar Jackson is probably the safest bet. I, I know that there is some... Really? You really think that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you're telling yeah. me that you think
0: that the quarterback who throws the ball the worst
1: who, of those, <laughs> of those
0: three, whose primary skill that makes him elite is the skill that will deteriorate the fastest and also... Puts him at risk for injury. That's the that's the guy that you want to lock up long term.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think you know what he is. I think that with Josh Allen, you still need to see it. Um, he he had a great last year. Well, Joe Flacco had a really good Super Bowl run a while back. You know, there there are a lot of players that have had really great seasons or really great games. Um, and I haven't. I mean, he had a really great season last year, but. It, it's unheard of what he did in that, in that one year. And I think, you know, what, what Lamar Jackson is. He, he's not the best passer in the league. He's incredible with the football in his hands, but at least, you know, what you're getting now, I wouldn't sign him to a Mahomes level deal or, or even a Dak level deal.
0: And, and that's, but
1: that's the ahead, thing too, ahead. is that
0: these with quarterback deals, there is some reasonableness to them. The DAC deal was unique because of his age and because of how he wanted the deal to be. But these deals, the Baker Mayfield, the Josh Allen, and the Lamar Jackson deal, they are going to want to come close to the average per year that Mahomes makes or more. They won't get the full, the number won't look as big because of the long-termness of Mahomes' deal but the average per year, they're going to sniff them home steal. And that's just how quarterback deals have always went.
1: No, no, I agree. But I mean, I don't know. It, it's kind of like the Kirk cousins problem. You know, they signed him to a huge deal, the biggest deal in the league. Um, and then the Vikings have, you know, kind of dropped off since then. They don't have enough money to pay all their good players. Well, the cap's um, fakes.
0: So I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. The, just restructure and add on I don't see what the big deal is exactly but uh no go ahead what were you about to say so here's here's my thing if you're the Ravens I do not
0: see a scenario in the world that you can pay Lamar Jackson this offseason here's why they have went all in on giving Lamar everything he needs he has a top five tight end Mark Andrews he's got Hollywood Brown Sammy Watkins two good wide receivers that they drafted this offseason, And they're supposedly still in the Julio Jones running. They drafted some, some more offensive linemen. Now they did trade one away, obviously to the chiefs. They still have good pieces on defense. This is the, you know, crap or get off the pot year for Lamar. If he is still struggling as a passer and you know, he's still the dynamic runner. That is where I feel like they need to start playing the Kirk cousins game. Like what happened with him in Washington where they tag him once, tag him twice, but I just do not see how they could get into a long-term contract with someone where he's going. Because again, coming back to the picks and players, Lamar Jackson was the 32nd pick or 31st or 32nd. I can't remember which, but either way, he's cheap for a first round pick and having him be the effectiveness that he is as a quarterback right now on the price point that he is, is amazing. It's why they're able to do some of the things that they are doing it's why they're able to trade for Yannick Ngakwe and Calais Campbell in an offseason. They're able to make those plays and and sign Marcus Peters and all those moves that they make that help them. So I, if I'm the Ravens, they've got to play it out this offseason. We'll see how he is this year. You know, if he takes the next step of those wide receivers, you feel a lot better about it. Because, you know, Josh Allen doesn't, or not Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson doesn't need to be Patrick Mahomes because of his rushing But he needs to be be Derek Carr throwing. He needs that. And at this point, the problem with Lamar Jackson is this. When the game script favors him, he has an unbelievable weapon. But that just doesn't happen. And when he is forced to sit back and throw, when the defense isn't stopping people, when he doesn't have the running game going well, when he's in a throw-first situation, that is when... He crumbles and doesn't have it. And we saw it in the playoff game against the Bills. It was a windy, rainy night. They were struggling to run the ball. The Bills said, you are not running the ball on us. They stacked the box and he threw a pick six. And then the next series, he got injured, which, you know, I know that everyone gets injured, but that speaks to the frailty of him as well, because he was dropped back in the pocket and the Bills aren't exactly a tremendous pass rush at that point.
1: Well, I I think that's a little unfair. He, he did get injured, but I think that there's a difference between, you know, getting nicked up and it being because of your play style. I mean, RG three got injured because of his play style. Mark Jackson has taken a lot of hits, but he's also very smart with the football. He, he knows when to duck and dive. He knows when to run out of bounds. Um, and not only that, but I think that that maybe his lack of ability to throw the ball deep down the field and accurately, um, at least deep down the field accurately. Um, I think that the ability of the Baltimore Ravens to draft is really what puts them in a good position to, you know, give him maybe a little bit bigger than what you might think he would want or what he's valued at as far as contract goes. You give him a little bit bigger of a contract and you're drafting so well that you're putting so many pieces next to him that it is impossible for him to fail. And you know he's a fighter. You know he's a guy that's going to give it his all. And it's not like he crumbles under the pressure either. He's a guy that can get you a first down. I mean, third and ten, he can get you a first down when you need it.
0: And, and I, I think that – I think the thing to remember about Lamar Jackson, then we'll move on to the other quarterbacks, is, is that the thing about Lamar is is that he plays a style of football that will make him susceptible to getting injured – and that doesn't necessarily—that's not necessarily a bad thing. Patrick Mahomes does that as well. He constantly is keeping the play alive, keeping the play alive. And you're right; he is smart with the football when he is a rusher. You know, he goes out of bounds, he slides, he knows how to do those things. I think that the comparison to him and RG three is not fair because of the way that they played and also the way that they um, the way that they passed. But I do think it is fair to say that. When you look at Lamar Jackson compared to many other quarterbacks physically, his stature and his physique is not nearly as strong as some of the quarterbacks. Now, he doesn't need to look like uh, Big Ben, but I worry about him not so much in the sense of getting injured outside the pocket, but also getting injured inside the pocket because he is a smaller guy. Um, You know, Mahomes took some brutal hits in the Super Bowl but he is a big guy and he's able to absorb those hits. Peyton Manning was a big guy. He was a, he wasn't, he was lanky, but he still could absorb those hits. I, I just, I, for the Ravens, I just don't see how you could do it this year. And I don't know how you could do
1: it for super long-term, but. So who would your choice be then out of those four?
0: And that's where I was going. I feel like at this point, man, I feel, I almost feel stupid for saying this, but I feel like, the safest person to sign in this group might actually be Baker Mayfield, and here's why. Baker has had two good seasons, one bad season. His one bad season, he had a clown as a coach. His system, when I say his, I mean Kevin Stefanski. His system complements complements Baker Mayfield, and I also feel like Baker Mayfield, you know, he's in the commercials, he's all those things. I feel like he would probably be a little bit more willing to not try to make best quarterback in the league money. I think he knows he's not that. I think his agent knows that. I think the fan base knows that. Everyone knows that Baker Mayfield is not a top five quarterback in the league. So the reason why I think that he would be the safest person to go long-term is because if you pay him, let's say like top four QB money per a year, you get him on a couple year deal. He's going to give you those cap savings enough. I mean, all this is enough, right? and then he also has been fairly stable in his production. Yes, he had that one rough year, but a lot of things went wrong that year. I feel like he might be the safest thing in 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 contradiction to Josh Allen, who has every right after the year he had last year to try to get top end money. But also, he's proven to be the more volatile player as far as his production. He's had some rough years. Now, I think we I think a lot of people kind of forget how he was in the year before last where he wasn't bad the year before either, but you know, he does have a habit to making those backbreaking interceptions. And I, I mean, Baker Mayfield makes those as well, but I just feel like Allen is going to try to get paid like an MV, a top three MVP player, like a, the all the second team, all pro player he was last year. And yeah. you, you might be able to pay Baker Mayfield pro bowl money. If you, if you catch my drift. There's a big difference between that all pro and Pro Bowl money. And that might actually be the safer thing because if Josh Allen is more of 2018, 2019 Josh Allen and less of 2020 Josh Allen, and you pay him like Patrick Mahomes, like a top-end thing, I I feel like that might actually be the riskier move.
1: See, and, and I would almost go with you there, ex, except for the fact that Baker has had so much talent around him. And, and that's something that gets thrown in Mahomes' face all the time, especially if you read the Twitter comments and stuff like that. Uh, but he has had, I mean, he had Jarvis Landry coming out. He had Nick Chubb. You know, he's, he's had these incredible players. And he couldn't get it done unless he had a coach that was willing to run play action 90% of the time. I mean, I I completely understand and agree with you with the Pro Bowl money. I don't think that he's going to demand uh, Patrick Mahomes or a Dak Prescott deal. Um, But I think he's a system quarterback, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing. He plays really well in the system that they have, but I think that when you ask him to go off script and you ask him to, to hit some of those big throws down the stretch, I don't think he can do it. I mean, see, the Chiefs. Brown's game last year in the playoffs. He had a chance. He had a chance to put it away. He had a oh, chance no, to go. Oh no, man. They lost that game because of
0: Daniel Swordson's a dirty player. That's what Twitter told me. They yeah, I won. bet it
1: was what Twitter told
0: you. All, that, all <laughs> so, they had to do is beat Chad Henney and they couldn't. I you know, I think I think your point is valid, but I I also think and this is something that I think is you know, we're talking about baseball changing. I think this is an NFL thing that's changing. More and more we are seeing it just It's just a fact now that good quarterbacks do well with talent. There was this thing that went around for a little bit because, you know, Tom Brady was throwing to Julian Edelman and like nobody else that, you know, good quarterbacks can make bad players into good players. And that is true to an extent, but also, I mean, there are lots of good quarterbacks who have struggled without good players. It's it, you know, a quarterback, Does not elevate every single player around them they can do a lot but they can't just carry a team on their back so your argument about baker having so much talent around him, and that's why you're unsure of what he is it is it is certainly valid but i also feel like you could make the argument about josh allen as well because when did josh allen blow up when he got stefan diggs and cole beasley as became you know the second wide receiver and, you know, that's when he really took off. And, I mean, both of those arguments are valid. But I think you can make that argument for literally any any quarterback that, like, you know, we're scared to pay him because he was only good when he had weapons. But, I mean, when do you exp- – I mean, it, you know, very, very few quarterbacks can take nobodies and turn them into somebodies. I mean, I feel like Aaron Rodgers does that on a pretty regularly ba- regular basis. But he still has, like we said last week, he still has an elite offensive line, a great running back, and the top two – wide receiver in the league right now. So, I mean, I, I agree on both fronts with Baker and with Josh Allen. Um, and even, I mean, even Lamar, I mean, you're dealing with the same thing with Lamar there. Cause I mean, he's getting all this help from the wide receiver core. He still has two or three good running backs, a good offensive line, a good defense. All those players are subject to the talent around them. But ultimately I think when it comes to locking them up to a long-term deal, the number one question you got to ask yourself is, are we willing to give up 10, 15% of our cap in a year to keep them here? Are they that valuable that the team cannot, that we can't have someone come in and give us majority of their
1: production? So then what would you have the, uh, the Ravens do then? Because they're, they're kind of at a crossroads, like you said. Um, if, if Lamar demands MVP money, and, and wants something bigger than the DAC deal, what do you do?
0: This is really hard because this is super aggressiveness that I don't think a team would ever do. It's really hard to look at a fan base and say, hey, the uh, MVP that's taken us to the playoffs every year and lost like six games in his career, yeah, we're going to go ahead and trade him. But here's the thing. If you don't think that Lamar Jackson has it, if they look in a room and say, well, look, we've got all this wide receiver talent now, we've got these running backs. We've got this offensive line and he still can't get through to the big one. And they all see more than we see in practice. You trade them. You, you let it known, let it be known that in the off season that you're going to tag and trade him. and you get a King's ransom for it and you go up and get your guy. But here's the thing. You cannot, you cannot create a quarterback that you want. You know, I, do I think that Lamar Jackson's going to be an upgrade over Spencer or Rattler or whoever's coming out of the NFL draft quarterback prospects next year? Probably not, which, you know, that's hard. Maybe last year, you know, with Trevor Lawrence and some of the other quarterback prospects, that was a little bit more tangible. Um, but again, I, these are, this is super hypothetical and I don't think it's ever going to happen, but you know, if you don't think you have a guy that you're willing to give long-term money to and you can't come to an agreement with him and he's going to become a malcontent over it, which we don't know that Lamar Jackson's going to do that. Um, you have no idea. But that's, that's really the only thing you can do. I don't think that they will. I don't think like the Chiefs would ever have done that with Mahomes or any other things. But I mean, it's, it's truthfully the one thing you can do. Let someone else go give them the money if you think that
1: it's going to be a bad pick or a bad deal. See, I think that parallels really well with what Green Bay probably should have done last year. And, you know, you take a quarterback in the first round, trade up to get him. Um, but, I mean, they should have traded him right at the end of this past year, especially knowing that he had no intentions of coming back. Yeah, the, uh,
0: the Rodgers deal is a mess, and it's it's not getting any less messy, for sure, because now it's the he, he's, he likes the team and he likes the coaching staff. It's just the, uh, you know, the GM and the owner or not the owner the GM and the president of the team that he wants to leave,
1: you know, like the two yeah. most powerful people in the organization. But that's kind of, we can, that's a whole bag of weeds we could get into. We could talk another 40 minutes for, for sure, you now. For sure. So did you do anything, do anything fun over Memorial day? Uh, no, unfortunately I uh, been really strapped up with work and then. Uh, yeah. So you didn't mention it, but you're, you're about to finish up school at Mizzou, right? Or you did? Yeah, yeah. I I have two years left.
0: Okay, so I was completely wrong when I said about to finish. You're like (laughs)
1: halfway there, baby. Yeah, well, I mean, kind of. Bachelor's in uh, psychology, and then a Bachelor's in teaching. So that's a
0: a whole thing. I want to get them completed at the same time. Do not feel bad about taking your time. I feel like that is one of the things that society especially like high school really like messed up a whole generation of like kids our age is that you must go to college and you got to get it done in four years um so do not feel bad about taking your time on that um you know a lot of people
1: have to work through college where what do you do for uh, what do you do for a job right now well right now i'm actually working at a pool as a manager like a uh, an aquatics manager
0: oh nice
1: nice um, yeah my wife, so my wife not lifeguard or anything like that
0: yeah it's mix the it's chemicals a whole train the lifeguards all that stuff. yeah nice nice yeah I um today this is uh not a humble brag it's gonna sound like humble brag but if you've like seen a picture of me or know who I am um you will not be confused with this as a humble brag but today um I did the Murph workout which is um kind of a trendy thing that a lot of people do on Memorial Day um if you've ever seen the movie Lone Survivor starring Mark Wahlberg Uh, The main character, Mark Wahlberg, plays a military, I can't remember if he's a SEAL or a Marine, but, uh, you know, the story centers around him and his fight for survival as he was the last member of his platoon that survived. And he did a workout that um, consisted of running one mile, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, and 300 air squats, followed by another mile with a 20-pound vest on. And that was what he did every day. Um, Now... I did not do all of those things, but I did do some of those things. I ran a mile, did a hundred setups. I did it here at the house cause I had to work this morning. So I wasn't able to go into the gym and do it. Um, so I did hundred setups. I did a hundred pushups and then I did 200 air squats and then ran another mile, which I got it done in about 48 minutes, which is really good for me. But um, that was really cool to kind of do that. And um, also, you know, I, I think this is one thing that is frustrating around Memorial Day is people people get mad at people for not caring enough about Memorial Day. And then people also get mad for people getting mad about people caring about Memorial Day, if that makes sense. It's almost like we're we're mad about people for caring and then we're mad at people for not caring enough. Here's the thing. Um, I'm willing to bet that most of us who are not veterans or do not have some immediate family in the military, we probably do not wake up every morning thinking about the military, thinking about veterans, thinking about the battle that happens after their service and thankful for those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. But today, hopefully you did. And that's really all you can do. You know, if you're a person who wants to go above and beyond and volunteer your time to a shelter or something like that, or a cause, or to donate finance, financial support to it, that's excellent. But you don't have to feel guilty that you went to the lake this weekend or that you went to a barbecue or like, you know, Some people look at things like the Murph workout and think that it's just about getting clout and getting people to recognize you. But the point is that you took time today to do something different than you normally did. And I, you know, I'm sure you at the pool took time to do that as well.
1: Um, And it's okay to enjoy your holiday week, your
0: holiday weekend as well.
1: Oh yeah. And, and like you said, just, just being conscious, conscious of, uh, of, veterans and and what they do for the country i mean really i don't even depending on how you view it with you know the whole national anthem thing in sports um i think everybody can come together and say uh you know we care about the military i don't think that that's uh that's out of you know out of sorts or, or something controversial to say um but yeah hopefully everybody did something to to uh to remember the troops that have fallen and those who are still serving. I mean, Absolutely. it's a great, great weekend. Absolutely. Great thing to do.
0: Well, I think we're going to call this a wrap for today. Um, we recorded this on the, on Memorial day. So, um, whenever we post this, hopefully Holyo Jones has not been traded. So half of the podcast is not voided. Um, we encourage you guys to keep listening. Um, we love feedback. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at price a Carter is my Twitter handle. Um, This week, I'm going to have a piece go live on Arrowhead Live. I'm doing a little series about the most underrated and most overrated players on the Chiefs' current roster. Uh, This week, I'm writing about the underrated because I feel like I'm a little too negative sometimes when I write. So I'm doing underrated first. Uh, Christian, you got anything you want to plug or your Twitter handle?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'll plug my Twitter handle. Uh, It's And keep in mind, this is a little cringy. I made it a few years ago, but uh, it's Breezy underscore edits. I do a lot of graphic design as well Um, so this weekend on Arrowhead Live on our uh, mother account we'll be posting two of my uh, iPhone backgrounds that I've created Um, but I do a lot of that type of stuff uh, weekly and and throughout the week so follow me there if you want some cool uh, graphic design edit NFL stuff. Beautiful.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, we're probably looking at doing this either weekly or biweekly. Just kind of depends on how things go and what the demand is. So we appreciate you listening and uh, have a great night.